This is a classic because despite being written in the 18th century, feels modern and relatable today. This is a classic because love is not linear and it comes in many forms. This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Gagarin, they, them, a curator for Expand the Canon. And me, Shannon Corinthian, she, her, also a curator for Expand the Canon. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. Today, we'll be talking about Charlotte von Stein's A New System for Freedom from the Expand the Canon list available at expandthecanon.com. If you were to go to that site, and you should, (laughs) you would find this pitch. If you're looking for a madcap comedy of errors with chaotic Gen Z wit, consider this arch-rollicking take on love and freedom from German dramatist Charlotte von Stein. Once upon a time, Menanda was happily in a relationship until her brother, bent on destroying all romantic love, got between her and her beloved. Now, due to a mistaken kidnapping and several misplaced identities, she finds herself held captive under the same roof as both her jilted lover and her bumbling brother. Will the lovers reunite? Will the kidnapping be avenged? Does anyone know what's going on? A confetti of comedy's favorite pleasures served up with a healthy dose of camp. This is the perfect piece for any theater looking to engage a younger crowd in the classics. We're just diving headlong into themes here. But for me, one of my biggest things is the way that this play is like types of love and like definitions Mm. of love because Duvall is like, I mean, you have the like classical idea of love being played out through Menanda and Avalos of like these two people who were like lovers. But then even, I mean, Duvall is very stern about that, like, he doesn't have a romantic love, but Lutgard is not nearly as harsh on that end. But, you know, there's something about like the level of attraction between the two of them and the mm. way they kind of bounce off each other where you're like, okay, well, maybe it's not romantic love, but, you know, that doesn't mean that sexy times are off the table. Right, right, um, right, right. And this is also something you see in the beginning of the play between Theodora and the Ensign Monroes, where they are also sort of like building their own, like budding more kind of like chaste virginal uh, connection. And there's also, I think you could like, there's so much about this play to me that feels so inherently queer Mm. and poly and, you know, even though it's about the erasure of love, it's a play that is so full of it mm-hmm. and um and is full of these people who are just like getting driven topsy-turvy by their love and their passion for each other i love that gigs everything you just said i think if you're going to talk about any subject you're going to talk about its counterpart right so if you're talking about mm-hmm. the erasure of love 
you're automatically going to talk about love and it's all all it's like family love. We have just friendship. We have platonic love. We have romantic love um, and all of its, you know, different ways and expressions. Um, and yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the reasons why we love this play is because it explores. I don't know. It, ex- it talks about these relationships and has a. Uh, hijinks in a way that is that is very queer and that is very fun and that is very open i think that's a, the best just for something that's so close that's about like not being in love it is so open in the way they all talk about it which i appreciate yeah and also in the way that like i mean one thing about this play that i also so much love is that to me like we talk about how the script and the plot are crazy and because also like we're going to get into this a little bit when we get into the background, but like this wasn't really written as like a play to be performed. This was like a play that was written to be read by ladies around afternoon tea. Yeah, but yeah. this play screams to me possibility. It is like one of those shows where I feel like if you can get a group of eight to 10 fabulous clowns together, you could blow the roof off several places because there's so much room in the text to play with Mm -hmm. physicality and like put things in that aren't there like there's so Duvall is by far my favorite of all of these characters because Duvall is like such a queen and also like back to the queerness of this show um Duvall is not that character's real name. They like talk about it at the beginning of the play that he recently changed his name. And it's Mm. like, it like nobody's allowed to ever call him by his previous name. Yeah. Which is like, that's one of the most trans things I've ever heard. But then also (laughs) there's another scene where like, like the servants are talking to each other and they hear this loud thump on the floor. And one of them is like, Oh my God, I got to go. And the other one is like, what do you mean? What is, what is that banging? And he's like, Oh, master Duvall jumps into his shirts in the morning. He gets up on a chair, puts on a pair. Actually the direct quote, cause I do have it pulled up was, uh, the master jumps into his shirts in the evenings. I lay them out on the floor in the mornings. He climbs up on a chair, puts on a pair of opera glasses and jumps into the middle of his clothes. So wild. Yeah. And it's funny because then the housemaid is like, why? And he, and he's like, so we good. Cause he doesn't want to dress himself like other people. Right, right, right. Cause he's different. <laughs> he's different. And he likes to be that way. Yeah. There's, I, I think this, we've read a lot of plays written in this time. Um, and I remember reading it and us all talking about it and being like for some reason this play is so wild and if it was written if the subject was any different it would probably say no but because of the plot and like the characters we're all like yeah well because i mean it also like subverts i'm I'm, i want to pick up on what you're saying and i want to run with it because i think it it doesn't even like so much subvert as it just completely ignores all of those classical comedic, like any other play that is like this is not like this play. Exactly. Like it's got a lot of the same stock characters, but it takes the plot completely in its own direction. And also like in the actual building of the characters and their relationships, it goes in its own direction, which was also a note that I had down was that like the story doesn't feel linear which is also like inherently queer to me Mm -hmm. um, in that like it 
it doesn't ever, you know, it doesn't end in a marriage. It also like doesn't even really remotely feel heterosexual to me, mm-hmm. even though these characters, I, Charlotte von Stein might take a bit of an issue with me on that sure. one, but whatever girly yeah, we're, we're doing your gone. play now. Yeah. Like, I don't want to put something on her that I don't think she was putting there, but you know, that's the beauty of getting to do these plays now is that we can take them and we can put what we want to into them. Oh, um, so something that I was sort of reading through, and maybe you have this in the dramaturgy, and because I just kind of wanted to be able to listen to you say it and respond to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, this play was a direct response and is very clearly a criticism of the Enlightenment period. And especially from like being it being a male dominated philosophical sphere, because Mm -hmm. Duvall is like sort of crafted as being this big philosopher who has all these great ideas. And it's like the man is jumping into his clothes and also like only a guy who could never get a girl or was harshly rejected would say that like real love is for the dogs and that he's much happier like with his sky daddy kind of heavenly love. Like, yes. That's, it also feels like very, very modern. And I was just thinking that this feels like so, sorry to, I'm, no, go, I'm running go, with go, your, go. your thought now of like, when we're talking about this and we're talking about the queerness, we're talking about, it feels just so modern and representative of what we're going through right now. I think we're talking about, um, you know, male artists who have been revered or whatever. And we think about their practices and what they do and they're, you know, considered creative geniuses, but what he's really doing is the equivalent of jumping into his shirt just to be different. You know, the like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have our own thoughts about like method acting or whatever, but like the, Mm. the, you know, the creative thing of like, but when I, before I go on to shoot, all I drink is the white of an egg and I don't eat anything until 12, until an hour before, you know, like some weird creative practices. In a bear carcass. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, what the heck? And they create art and they're like, wow, this is the most brilliant thing ever. But like, is it? <laughs> but like, is it? And also like, do you even know what you're really talking about? Like, right. that's another thing is like, these guys are constantly talking about things that they have either just recently learned yes. or actually have no idea what they're talking about. I didn't recognize this on my first pass, but then on this second read through to get ready for this, I was like, oh, the on-sign Monroe's is constantly making all of these references to Greek theater mm-hmm. and Greek um, mythology, but they're all wrong. Like he's just like, <laughs> he keeps like either saying the wrong name yeah, or yeah. mispronouncing it or like mixing up gods, but he's saying it with this air of like, yeah. I am totally and utterly correct. Yes. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, he, the on-sign Monroe's is like trying to tell Theodora all about like what love is and like how she should behave as a maiden and blah, 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 and all these things. But it's like, you don't even know how to act as a man, my guy, like the girl gets kidnapped and you don't even show up until the very end. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is like interesting on the gender perspective, but then also like, I think this is reflected even more in our besties, our favorites, Florin and Lutgard, Mm -hmm. because um, they're like male pants roll costumes are, they're very famously dressed up as Scapine and Arlecchino, right? Mm -hmm. Am I saying, is it, is it Arlecchino? Okay. Mm -hmm. Scapine and Arlecchino, who are these famous 
male commedia characters that are like the serving characters that are only ever after sex, money, and food. Right. And like, I think it's so funny how it's kind of like all of these women, specifically through Florian and Lutgard, are just like holding up this mirror in the play, metaphorically, are like holding up a mirror for what all of these men are actually about. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of bold of von Stein to do at that time. Of oh, definitely. Writing this play of like, especially because we're talking about the Enlightenment period, you know, even if this was performed in a living room and or in a small gathering room shared with like-minded people, it's a bold statement to make to to the people in your circle to be like all of these men that were surrounded by and that were listening to actually know nothing or you know blatantly making fun of them which i think is another reason why this place is is so amazing and so fun to read is is yeah boldness in calling people in her circle out oh certainly certainly you can just imagine all the girlies like giggling having, having full on giggles cuz right. i i bet you also like a lot of this was probably based on like men that Charlotte von Stein ran into in her real life. And I also just want to throw one thing out there. This is like, to my mind, not only a romantic comedy, but kind of like a sex comedy too. And Mm. um, there's no rape. There's no no rape. There's no sexual assault. That's not needed. (laughs) Just because like, I feel like you can't, you, when we were talking about like other plays that are like this, you like, it's all, it's so hard to find something where there isn't like a forced encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's not something that, that gets muddy on the realm of like consent and agency, um, which is like, you know, uh, another reason it's like, do this one instead of exactly instead of the other ones and for this play to just be like no this is just fun it's queer it's modern and it was written in the 18th century um which is interesting because so if she's writing this in the 1700s but the play itself takes place in the 1800s then i i feel like this is almost like her fantasy of like what could come to be i don't know Maybe I'm reaching. Oh, yeah, she wrote this right, right, right. Two years, right. Okay, so she wrote it in 1798. Okay, so it's not yeah. that much of her, like... But it is a couple years, right? It's like, maybe this is a turn-of-the-century thing. Um, oh, yeah? Because there are so many things, you know, there's so many revolutions happening around. Is it a... That's a great point of, like, is this a message for the new century um, that we're coming into and kind of a new hope or shifting the conversation you know, away from like, we've been listening to all these men's for so long. Is this a time for women to, to be more part of the conversation? And also on the whole, like love aspect of it, you know, we're like, culturally, she's living in a very, you know, at the Weimar court, very mm-hmm. uptight, very, you know, probably Christian dominated, um, like kind of culture. Deval is in that way also like, a caricature of all of these men who uh, want to push women towards experiencing true heavenly love, like taken to just the utmost extreme. Yeah. 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 Like, is this her, her enlightenment text, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just like, I really want to see this play done with all like Mm -hmm. drag king and queen clowns. Ooh, that'd be so fun. Wouldn't that be fun? Like, especially, I think you can get a little bit funky with some of the casting, but in my mind, Duvall, like, has to be a drag king. (laughs) I can see it. 
I can see it. I think, I mean, the characters need to be big. The, all of the characters in this play are big, and that's how Massive. it works. You can't, yeah, you need big characters, big personality, big There's no presence. realism. It's going to yeah. be bit after bit after bit, exactly, like physical exactly. comedy. And that's like, I, I think, because I feel like you could do it in a black box with like very minimal set in designing but if you have performers and like movers yes who are gonna fold themselves throw throw themselves full bodily at this script then you've oh i get chills i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna enlist all my fellow clowns and be like hey let's do this let's cancel love guys that's oh my god <gasps> that is such a good that's like marketing one. thing there you go i love that legacy so, Shannon, <laughs> you want to try to unpack this puzzle piece of a plot for me and us? Like, even during my reread, I was like, oh, right, this does, she she jumps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, same. When I was preparing for this, I was like, oh, right, there are so many things that happen in here. I will preface with saying that this plot summary, I've, like, omitted some things. And if you want to find out what those things are, you got to read the play. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but we start this play in 1792, and Lord Duval von Linné, a wannabe Greek philosopher, decides that all earthly love can never match its ideal counterpart, heavenly love. He decides to spread this philosophy, as any white man likes to do, and get rid of all love from the earth. Duval gets this great idea to forge a letter in this plot to remove all um, love from the earth. He gets this great idea to forge a letter from his sister, Menanda von Linné, to her lover, Avalos, who is also Duval's close friend, if not best friend. This letter convinces Avalos that Menanda no longer loves him, and he is so devastated that he dashes off a quick, angry response to Menanda and enlists in the emperor's fight against the French. Which is honestly. Um... What I would probably do too, if yeah. the love of my life was like, I'm breaking up with you, I'd be like, okay, well, you know what? That's cool for you. Then I'm just going to go fight in wars for the next eight years <laughs> and never be. Yeah. <laughs> same, same, same. I'll be like, you know what? I, I'm out. I'm out. It's the equivalent foolproof. of like, I'm going to move now. I'm, I'm changing states and you'll never hear from me. I mean, it's a foolproof way to never run into her at the bar. Exactly. And speaking of, Mananda, because she doesn't want to run into Avalos at the bar, is also heartbroken. And so she leaves her brother and goes to live with distant cousins in a far-off corner of Germany, which is where this takes place. She's right. like, I'm, I'm leaving the state, pretty much. Fast forward eight years to the, the, the year of our Lord, 1800, two days before the action of the play. Deval, Avalos, and Mananda have not seen each other for eight years, as we've mentioned. And Duval is still hoping to spread this new system of freedom, hint, hint, from love, and is staying at an inn as he's moving his estate. His, he's like staying at this, um, the White Swan Inn, because he's just moving within the, the countryside. He's like moving into this like big fancy castle. Yeah. It's like, it's an older, it's an older house, but it's been abandoned for some reason for a long period of time. Yeah. And he's like, this is mine now. Yes. During his stay at the inn, Duval overhears, overhears two pairs of lovers talking in the next room and hatches a plan to kidnap the women away from their men. Because he's like, no one can be in love. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, those lovers, quote unquote, that he heard are a pair of traveling Commedia dell'arte actresses named Florine and Lutgard who were switching off playing their male and female roles. They're just rehearsing. <laughs> we're just rehearsing a scene. <laughs> and they're just that good of actors. They're that good of actors. And they're so good that Duvall, in his, you know, fury to share his philosophy, writes a letter to his best friend, Avalos, in which he asks him to abduct the two women staying at this inn and bring them to Duvall's castle, the new place where he's staying. He sends this letter and then leaves the inn and rides off to his castle to prepare for the women's arrivals and everybody else's arrival. Meanwhile, Florine and Lutgard, Camille dell'arte actresses, are kicked out of their room in the inn to make room for a large family, including Menanda von Line, Duval's sister, her naive cousin Theodora, their cousin, the ensign Monrose, and a major named Heribert, who everyone calls uncle. And since they no longer have a place to stay, Florine and Lutgard make their way to Duval's estate, hoping that he will let them perform there. So this is where... <laughs> Craziness ensues. I don't know if everyone got that. Yeah. Well, there's also the, the, the a key factor in this is that um, when Duvall like gets a sense of uh, Lutgard and Florin is that he sees them as wearing white veils when they're practicing their yes. female roles. Yes. And also Keely, Menanda and Theodora are also wearing white veils. Yep. Avalos having received Duval's letter, comes to the town where the inn is and, as ordered, because he's a good friend, makes up, makes off with the two women staying at the inn who are actually Menanda and Theodora. And like Gig said, he doesn't recognize them because they are wearing white veils which obscure their faces and prevent Avalos from recognizing his lost love. Which is also, like, one of my favorite things about this is that Avalos has a servant who is, like, continuously being, like, are you sure we yeah. like shouldn't check to make sure there aren't any other women wearing white veils right, right. at this inn? And Alice is like, no, this has got to be it. And he's like, but are you like really sure? <laughs> You know, like no one, no one is questioning anything here. The fact that Avalos, after eight years, is like, yeah, this is probably one of the first times you've written me in a while. Let me just abduct two women, not check their identities, and bring them to your castle. This makes sense. Well, because he's also like, he's excited to see his bestie again. Of course. As a good friend, um, despite eight years of not having ha hang out, but let's, you know, they didn't have Facebook or Instagram at that point, so they can't. They're, they're far away. I mean, he's at war. Anyways, Avalos takes the women to Duval's castle. When the lady servant, so when Menanda and Theodora's lady servant, Suzette, discovers the abduction, she dons the ensign's uniform to chase after them. So she um, dresses as the, 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 you know, the soldier that was following them. And she, in turn, Suzette, is followed energetically by Monrose and his servant, Conrad, and somewhat less um, energetically by the, the uncle and the doctor. Yes. So there's some, like, extra fun chasing happening. Well, because it's, it's you know, everyone, like, freaks out because Menanda and Theodora are missing. But, like, the on-sign is busy praying to the stars and collecting all of right. his weapons and, you know, talking about how he's going to bust in and get it all going. And Suzette is like, okay, no. <laughs> we, like, we have to go now. Like, we don't, like, we don't know where they could have gone. We got to go get them now. Right, so right, right. That's when she just steals his clothes. And I think like one rapier and is like, 
I'm just going to go get them because the on-sign Monroe's, oh, that man loves to talk and oh, feel is. very smart. Yeah. So anyway, we're at the castle. We're at the castle. Um, the women arrive, the abducted women arrive, but are sequestered away from the men. And because they're sequestered away, they spend their time exploring their small corner of the estate, which includes the library. Important note. That's Minanda and Theodora are in the library, correct? We don't quite know where Florian and Lutgard are yet. Yes, exactly. Minanda and Theodora are in the library. Duvall, again, the person who's like, love doesn't exist on Earth, meets with the actresses upon their arrival and discovers that he is soulmates with Lutgard. Yes, because she found his like little manifesto of like the 10 reasons why love is bullshit and it doesn't exist while they were staying at the inn because they they like shared a wall, which is how he overheard them. And so she, I think he actually left the letter there for them to find to like prep them for being right. 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 Um, And so like Lutgard finds this letter and is like, damn. Whoever wrote this has got it right. And when she realizes that that is Duvall, she is like, holy shit, I actually might be in love with you, which, what an oxymoron. Don't you, isn't that, you're not. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hi, how ironic. Yeah, that like, this is how you find your soulmate <laughs> by your non-love manifesto. At the same time, Suzette, uh, so Suzette, who is a lady's maid, who is dressed as Monroe's, attempts a heroic assault in the guise of Monroe's, but the actresses, Lutgard and Florin, foil her plan, and Suzette retreats, stumbling upon Mananda and Theodora in the process. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's it's funny because it like they like you know Suzette is like really putting on the show of like being the ensign. Like she mm-hmm. pulls out the rapier and she's like, "You better give me my girls. Like, where are they?" And it's like. Lutgard literally just like smacks it right out of her hand because Lutgard and Florin are so cool. are so cool and are so capable. <laughs> like yes, yes. A big part of the thing when they, especially when they reveal to Duvall that they they don't have any lovers, that it was actually just them doing pants rolls. They're like, oh, we just we dress in men's clothes and we always are dressed as our men's as our like male roles, because it's easier for us to be able to move around. And then whenever we're in cities, we'll wear veils and be women. Um, So they have a very fun flexibility in there. And also as a result, makes them very, makes them probably the smartest people in this play. play. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, we'll talk about this, but this is one of my, those, they're them too. Florin and Lutgard were some Mm. of my favorite characters because of that. Yes. So we're uh, still in the library. We're still in the library. Suzette has failed her attempt at, um, at you know, uh, rescuing them, but has found them. Um, and in her brother's library, Mananda discovers the letter that he forged in her hand eight years ago. So the letter that told her that her love, Avalos, didn't actually love him. Separately, not in the library, Duvall also reveals his secret betrayal betrayal to Avalos, who's heartbroken. And then he's like, I'm going to find Mananda wherever she is right now because clearly she still loved me and all that good stuff. Mm. Um, He is convinced to stay. But after some more hijinks and some more wild zany things, the characters all end up in the same room. Mananda and Avalos are revealed to one another and they reconcile because love. And Duvall, though in love with Luchgard, 
announces his partnership with Lutgard to be completely non-romantic. Avalos agrees to make up with Duval since they're best friends and they're to be brothers-in-law. And the play ends with Menanda condemning Duval's folly. History. Okay, but do you want to tell me a little bit about Charlotte and her life? So Charlotte von Stein, born Charlotte von Stard, was born December 25th, 1742 on Christmas um, to Johann Willem von Stard and Concordia von Stard. Her father was the master of the Weimar court ceremonies. So that's so funny that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. And her position as minor nobility offered her an early education in literature and languages. So she already had a leg up in, in life early on. Love that. This education would serve as preparation for Charlotte's position as a lady-in-waiting, which she began in 1758 to Duchess Anna Amelia of Saxe-Weimar. Um, in 1764, a marriage was arranged between Charlotte and Baron jo- um, Josias von Stein. And there's a fun note that I do want to claim because it's kind of hilarious that James wrote um, that this guy has 20 names and his full name is, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, Gottlieb Ernst Johas Friedrich Freier Freie von Stein. Oh, my God. Once more for the people in the back. Gottlieb Ernst Josias Friedrich Freiherr von Stein. <laughs> Most sources refer to him as Frederick von Stein, but James opted for the alternative version he uh, seen used, Johas von Stein, in order to avoid confusion with Friedrich von Humdumstein, because apparently there are multiple von Friedrichs. Oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Okay. So, so they get married. So they get married. Um, and. Uh, she relocates to another castle outside of Weimar. And here she gives birth to seven children in 10 years. Holy shit. Of which three survived. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so You forget in the 1700s, they were playing the numbers game. Oh, they, were they like, really were. They really oof. were. No birth control. Just, you know. Oof. As many as possible. Let's hope we get two. God. Wild. Um. And it was in 1775, in her period of convalescence, that she met Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Do we know what that means in her period of convalescence? Yeah. So after she's given birth to all these people, (laughs) she's she's just waiting. She's like, it's when you're not doing too many extraneous things. It's pretty much like maternity leave for life. You're just in bed and you're not doing much or you're in a holiday. Okay. Then I'm in my period of convalescence. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I'm going to be in bed. I'm hibernating. So that's where she meets Goethe. Um, so the two began an intimate relationship with frequent visitations and correspondence. Ooh. Goethe mm-hmm. mm-hmm. would compose several poems in Charlotte's honor and model characters in his works after her because he loves her. Oh, yes. Their near constant relationship ended abruptly with Gutta, Gut, Gut, flights to, <laughs> flight to Italy in 1786 and subsequent engagement to Christiana von Vulpius. <gasps> Son of a bitch. I know. I also gasped <laughs> when I read this for the first time. I was like, wild, the drama. And th- this part is, I fully agree, of the relationship. Only Goethe's letters to Charlotte remain as she had them returned to him and destroyed after the end of their relationship. Honestly, good for her. Uh, Yeah. 
Get that man out of your hair. Yup. She was like, I am done with you. I mean, she's also married, but like, yeah, yeah. I support it. I support it. I support a woman's wrongs. (laughs) (laughs) So following the death of her husband in 1794, Charlotte began writing as an additional contribution to the cultural life of the Weimar court. Her first work, Dido, date debated, um, it was either written in 1792 or 1794, was a prose tragedy with reference to Goethe. She subsequently wrote Rhino, uh, a short verse play, and a new system of freedom in 1798. Her later work included an adaption of Sophia Lee's novel, The Two Emilies. This was written in the new century in 1803, which was the only work of hers to be published during her lifetime, which is kind of sad. Um, this is a slight oddity, a note from James. The piece's second publication would be attributed to Charlotte's peer, Frederick Schiller, another famous literary, literary acquaintance. You might have heard of him. <laughs> and of her last works, a comedy entitled The Rehearsal is considered lost. She would remain an active social figure in the Weimar court and enjoy moderate literary success in her later life. And she would pass away in 1827 at the age of 85. Oh, my God. Wow. Long lived. Yeah, long lived. Truly, that's kind of the wildest part, other than the gutta affair of her life. <laughs> oh wow, good for her. Yeah, honestly, like pump out seven kids, end up with three, have a fun affair, then chill out and write silly plays for you and your friends. Yeah, I kind of love that she started writing after she was like this romance so affected her that she had to release creatively i'm like you know what this mm-hmm. is yeah life gives you lemons you make lemonade and then especially get on the like, canon list <laughs> <laughs> well especially like given that like her lover was also like a playwright and a writer i bet mm-hmm. you probably like read some of his stuff and was like i can do this better 100 percent, especially if you hear the con like the language of new system of freedom you're mm-hmm. like this is this is a woman who knows that women can do what men can if not better and who are doing it and now a scene from the play performed by danielle Cohn as florin and nasla black as lutgard here i am in my costume ready to travel and i in mine i hope some girl falls for me i'd deceive her in the most honest way in the world Oh, I'm just a player in life's dizzy play. Let joy and good weather last forever and a day. Bring love to the needy, but also good gains. So let us go freely and jest at our pains. See, I've got the best fare on earth up my sleeve. A meal of the sweet air to drink. Joy de vive! So I summon my part in life's dizzy play. Let love's burdensome heart stay out of my way. (laughs) (laughs) Pa, I know that you have been in love once or twice. Silence! Say nothing of love. It should be exterminated. You're being foolish. You mustn't let yourself think love is honest. It is only play. To love honestly is hypochondria. I agree. What I sang just now, I learned by heart. I once heard the tune and found the text on a paper laid before my door. There, read the rest. One, love does not exist on this earth. Mm -hmm. Two, sympathy and mutual pleasure are mistaken for love. Mm -hmm. 
When two essences unite, they transcend to the highest echelon of the spirit. Uh, for striving for that which cannot be achieved makes human beings unhappy. Mm-hmm. Five, therefore, one must exterminate this error and let freedom of the heart be the watchword. <laughs> there, let others read it. Perhaps those with the error of love in their hearts. I, not at all. There is something in this note that enchants me. It draws me in. Put that foolishness to bed. Come, it is hardly an hour to Buchdorf. The night is beautiful. Let us hope Lord Duval will see us play. I shall dazzle him with these colors when I play Hanswurst, the naughty clown. <laughs> thank you again to Danielle and Nasla for that fabulous scene. We also want to thank David Clausen for translating this play and being so generous and sharing it with us. James Labella for his absolutely fabulous dramaturgy work. And Stephen Bank for editing this episode. Dum, dum. Thank you for joining us for this episode of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. If you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to this podcast. And then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleague, professor, dog. (laughs) For info on what's up next, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Facebook slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or join our mailing list and get on that subscription service at hedgepigensemble.org. Do it right now. You can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below. Again, I'm Gagarin. And I'm Shannon. Bye. Don't fall in love today. (laughs) Don't do it. Let's cancel love today. Let's cancel love today. (laughs) 